So we started uh, last week this eleventh uh, principle, uh, the one of schar and onesh, one of reward and punishment. And when we left off last week, we had explained the idea of schar mitzvah b'hay al malaka, the uh, the statement of Chazal that there's no such thing as reward uh, in this world. And the reason why we said that that's true, it's not a denial on Hashem's part to of a, you know, a delinquent employer not wanting to pay us for the job, which we did, but it's because that the value of mitzvahs is so great that there's nothing in this world which would be able to properly contain that, uh, that reward which is due for each and every mitzvah. And therefore, Hashem holds off, in a sense, until the world to come, until Olam Haba, to give us a reward for, those, uh, for our mitzvahs, so that we should be able to actually receive a, a, a just and due reward for, uh, for what we did, rather than getting, uh, you know, pennies on the millions or something along those lines. Okay, so now there's a, uh, another Mishnah, also in Pirkei Avos, which is important to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to think about, to consider. Uh, and that is, the Mishnah tells us that schar mitzvah mitzvah, that the reward for mitzvah is a mitzvah, and schar avera, or the punishment for an avera is an avera. Uh, that uh, the punishment for one sin is another. And we have to think about exactly what, the, what that means when we say schar mitzvah mitzvah, that the reward for one mitzvah is a mitzvah. Um, you, know, if I, uh, you know, if you imagine in the context of, of children, tell a child or you tell a student in a, in a classroom, uh, you know, it's time to clean up the toys. And they go ahead and they clean up the toys and then you say, wow, you did such a good job. I have another job for you. So rewarding them for a job well done with another job is usually not what they're looking for. They're looking for some sort of treat. And yet we say, schar mitzvah mitzvah, that the reward for mitzvah is a mitzvah. And so how uh, are we to, uh, to understand that concept uh, in a way which uh, 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 will capture some di- dimension of our relationship with, uh, with Hashem? So Reb Chaim Velazhin explains that uh, the idea is that when a person uh, performs a mitzvah, what happens on a spiritual basis is that the person envelops themselves and surrounds themselves with kedusha, with, uh, with sanctity. And when uh, we are uh, enveloped and we're surrounded by kedusha, by the aura of kedusha, so what happens is, is that the distance or the gap between ourselves and God becomes shortened, becomes minimized. And uh, the flip side of that is the bond, the connection or the dveikus between ourselves and Hashem. So that becomes, uh, that becomes stronger. And um, what the, this is, revolves around the, the idea that the purpose of creation, the reason why God made that executive decision at Again, there wasn't really time, but we, we think about it in terms of time. But the reason why God created the world was to give a creature, mankind, Klai Yisrael, the opportunity to be able to receive the greatest good in the world. And the greatest good in the world, which we could possibly receive, is a connection, a dveikus, a, a relationship with, the, with Hashem. So therefore, when I go ahead or when a person goes ahead and does a mitzvah, so what they do is they bridge that gap between themselves and God. They create a stronger dveikus, a stronger attachment between themselves and God. And once you go ahead and you bridge that gap even a little bit and you strengthen that bond even a little bit, 
what that does is it positions you to be able to go ahead and to be able to connect to God even more so. So the further you are from God, the harder it is to connect with God. The closer you are with God, the easier it is to go ahead and, and, and connect. And therefore, when we say schar mitzvah mitzvah, that the reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah, what that means is Hashem says you've done such a good job of reaching out and connecting and bridging that gap, that I'm going to give you more opportunity to go ahead and, and, and do that. You've showed yourself to be skilled and capable of doing mitzvahs and, uh, and creating a stronger bond. And therefore, Hashem says the best reward for that is more opportunities to go ahead and to connect with God uh, w- w- once again. The flip side of that is also true, that if a person goes ahead and exercises their bechira to go ahead and to violate God's word, to violate the, uh, the mitzvahs, to distance themselves uh, to, from God, to create a wider gap between themselves and God, and to weaken their connection, their dveikas with Hashem. Hashem says that, listen, uh, you, know, you, uh, you know, in a sense, we dig our own grave, and if that's what you want, which is to go ahead and to find yourself further away, so I will allow you to go ahead and, and do that, and to make uh, you know, uh, more opportunities to go ahead and pull yourself further away. Because Hashem gives us that, uh, uh, that tremendous autonomy to be able to choose to connect with Him or to distance ourselves from Him. And therefore, that's why the, uh, uh, the, uh, the reward or punishment that the Mishnah talks about, the schar mitzvah mitzvah or schar avera avera, or the consequence of an avera is an avera, is the allowance to, for us to go ahead and be the masters of our own destiny and to either connect more and attach further with God or, or to, uh, to find ourselves at a distance from God. And with that, Reb Chaim Velazhin goes ahead and, uh, and takes us a step further. And he says that there's a very famous uh, Mishnah, which actually we use as the introduction. It's really a Mishnah in, uh, in, in Masecha Sanhedrin, but it's used whenever you open up a Pirkei Avos, it is the introductory line to each one of the prakim, each one of the chapters of Pirkei Avos. And it begins with the phrase, Ko Yisrael yeshem haba, that every Jew has a portion in the world to come. Now, when you start getting precise in terms of, uh, of diktuk in, uh, in translation, so Kol Yisrael, every Jew, yeshem chelik has a portion, le'olam haba. So as we said, normally we translate that as in olam haba, but the prefix lamed doesn't actually mean in. If we wanted to say in Olam Haba, we would actually use a base. Would mean in the world to come. So if really the way we're translating it is as if it was written with a base, but in reality it's written with a Lamed prefix, Le Olam Haba. So what's the precise translation of that? So the precise translation of that is towards Olam Haba. So every Jew, has a portion. Towards the world to come. What does that mean now when we say that every Jew has a portion towards the world to come? So Chaim uh, takes note of the fact that there's no place you can, that, uh, that uh, you can't uh, put in Olam Haba into Google Maps and go ahead and find a place which is going to appear on the globe, which is called Olam Haba. No such place exists. And when eventually Google gets around to conquering the universe and they have Google Maps for the entire universe, you're also not going to be able to find a place anywhere in the universe where it's going to say Olam Haba. 
So where exactly, uh, so w- w- what does it mean when we say, when we talk about Olam Haba, and we uh, talk about every Jew having a portion of Olam Haba, so what exactly do we, uh, do we mean by that? So B'chaim says that what the, what the Mishnah means, what Chazal means when we talk about Olam Haba, the idea is, is that each person creates his own Olam Haba. So what exactly is Olam Haba that each person creates? That by performing mitzvahs and by learning Torah, by attending uh, you know, classes on Zoom uh, from young Israel, so that gives you an opportunity to go ahead and uh, study Torah. And doing so lays the foundation for what your personal Olam Haba is actually going to be. And as we said uh, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, every time a person does a mitzvah, what they do is they draw Kedusha upon themselves, they bridge the gap between themselves and God, they create a stronger Dveikus with, them, with, uh, with, uh, with themselves. So when we become surrounded by that holiness, when through the performance of mitzvahs we draw a greater sense of Kedusha into our lives, so the question we have to ask ourselves is, where does that Kedusha go? What happens to that, uh, that, uh, that, that Kedusha? Is there some sort of, you know, first national savings and loan of Olam Haba, you know, that, uh, that deposits go uh, to, into uh, to such a place? And while it sits there, the Kedusha, which we generate through our mitzvah performance and our Torah study, does it go ahead and uh, generate interest, compounding interest, and we have an opportunity to make withdrawals on occasion? Now, obviously, that's not the case. So what, uh, what the, the Mishnah tells us is, is that that Kedusha, which we create through our mitzvah performance and through our Torah study, so what that does is, is that creates what will eventually be our Olam Haba. That's going to be our eternity. So the better, the better we invest our time and our resources in this physical world, so the more lichdig, uh, I think they, uh, is the Yiddish word which they say, the more alive and the more uh, dynamic our world to come is going to be. And the less we invest in, uh, in Olam Haba, the less we invest in, uh, in spending time and resources towards mitzvah performance and, through, and in, in Torah study, so the more uh, mundane, the more bland, the less exciting our Olam Haba is going to, uh, to be. So all of that is created. So the, uh, then when we say, that every Jew has those opportunities, like Chazal say, I think we mentioned even last week, that every Jew is considered to be filled with mitzvahs like a rimon, like a pomegranate. So that means is that every Jew has numerous, numerous opportunities to go ahead and to draw Kedusha upon themselves, to draw Kedusha towards their soul, so that they will have a portion in the world to come, one which is going to be a place where they're going to spend the the rest of their eternity. Now, um, okay, now, at at this point, so uh, it's important, I think it's, uh, it's necessary to take a step back just to give us a little bit of perspective again about how exactly reward and punishment uh, works. And I think oftentimes when we, uh, when we uh, imagine in our mind's eye how reward and punishment works, we think of God sitting on some sort of throne of judgment, sitting there with a long uh, a robe and maybe one of those white powdered wigs or something like that. And he's going to go ahead and 
he'll have, uh, you know, I guess some, uh, some lawyers who are uh, uh, enumerating the many mitzvahs which we did, and then there'll be a prosecuting attorney or prosecuting angel who's going to come out and say, yeah, the person may have done a bunch of mitzvahs, but the person also did a bunch of averas, the person committed a bunch of sins. And then uh, we go, we go uh, ahead and we have a final tally, mitzvahs on one side, hopefully averas will be a little bit lower than that, and in the aggregate, we, we, uh, we add and subtract all that together. And in the event that a person comes out with more mitzvahs than averas, so then the person is going to be uh, in an uh, advantaged position. person is going to get olam haba. And in the event that the person has more averas than mitzvahs, then the person ends up in what we would imagine, what we would describe as, as Gehenna. But this is actually not the case. It's not the case that... We take mitzvahs on one side, averas on the other side, combine them together into an equation, and then see what the final result is going to be, whether that result is going to be positive, which would be good, or whether the result is going to be negative, which, which is bad. Because the truth is, is that for every mitzvah that a person does, a person is going to receive that unbelievable reward, and none of those mitzvahs could ever be canceled out. And on the flip side, for every Avera which is done, Averas aren't canceled out just because you went ahead and did a mitzvah, right? Like some people think, you know, proverbially, that if I go ahead and I steal a bunch of money, so I could be mitahir that money by giving some tzedakah, and the tzedakah will outweigh the Avera of, uh, of theft. So in the aggregate, I ended up ahead because I gave, made a nice donation to the shul, hopefully, or I made a nice donation to a yeshiva or to a kolel or to whatever the organization is. So as long as I give some of that to, uh, to tzedakah, so that should counterbalance the transgression of theft, which, which I did, and I'll end up ahead for, uh, for, the, uh, for the effort. So Chazal say very clearly that one should never think that Kosh is a vatran. The Kosh is going to overlook Averas, overlook things which a person did, because there's a careful cheshbon of everything which happens, and every mitzvah which is done is going to be duly rewarded. Every Avera which is done is going to be duly punished, if we use that term uh, punishment, and nothing is going to be, uh, nothing is going to be uh, uh, overlooked. And the punishment that, we are, that, uh, that, uh, that results from our transgressions. So they are, ultimately, they are for our good and for our well-being. And the muscle which we use, we talk about a lot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur time, during the Yom Yom season, is that an Aveira is really like a stain. It's a stain on a garment. So if a stain is something which is not so bad, so you can go ahead and you can just throw it into the, the, the washing machine, and the washing machine will go ahead and take out that, uh, that stain. Sometimes what's necessary is a stain is a little bit uh, stronger. And what you need is you need to do some uh, pre-cleaning of that stain before you throw it into the washing machine. And sometimes the stain is so bad that you're going to have to take some, uh, some more drastic measures to go ahead and get that, that, that stain off. So that's why we'll have it in Dafyomi in, uh, in about a month's time or so, a little less than a month's, uh, month's time, a couple of weeks, that, uh, that uh, depending on the severity of that transgression, there's going to be different types of tshuva which a person has to, has to do in order to make sure that the, uh, the blemish, not the blemish, the stain of that Avera is going to come clean off of the neshama. So sometimes just tshuva is enough. Sometimes it's tshuva and Yom Kippur. Sometimes it's tshuva, Yom Kippur, and some suffering. Sometimes it's going to be tshuva, Yom Kippur, suffering, as well as death. 
So death is going to be necessary. That's when we're talking about some pretty severe sins over here. There, it's going to be the decomposition of the body, which is necessary ultimately to clean, although it means that the body is going to have to, uh, to disintegrate, uh, uh, disintegrate in a physical sense. But that is what's necessary to go ahead and make sure that the stain is completely cleansed off of the, uh, off of the neshama. So none of this, we, uh, we should ever think of when we talk about uh, the punishment for an Avera. It's never intended to be a punitive measure on God's end of things. He's not punishing us because he's angry that we went ahead and did so. We may describe him as angry. That's just to go ahead and frame in our own minds the fact that Hashem Baruch Hu is attentive to what we are doing. But the whole design of the system of, of, uh, of, of punishment, of uh, of uh, of Onesh is really not is a punitive measure on God's uh, from God's perspective, but really it is a cleansing uh, process. That something has to be done to go ahead and make a repair, make a tikkun for what uh, for what was done, and the process of tshuva and suffering and all those things which a person may have to uh, have to go through, may have to endure, is ultimately just to make sure to get rid of that uh, that stain. Like we say in shul all the time, that there's really only one mitzvah, and that is don't make a mess. And in the event that you commit that one transgression, which is making a mess, so then you have one responsibility after that, and that is clean up the mess. So depending on how bad the mess is, so that's going to impact how hard you're going to have to work to go ahead and clean up that, uh, clean up that mess. But ultimately, it's all just a matter of cleaning up that mess. And it's an unbelievable chesed on Hashem's part to give us that opportunity. When we talk about Hashem being erech Hashem being slow to anger, and Hashem giving us those opportunities, so that is a tremendous chesed that we could go ahead and we could voluntarily try and clean up the mess, rather than uh, you know being forced to go ahead and clean up that mess. Uh, you know, God saying to us, "Listen, you're not getting any dinner tonight, so you go ahead and you clean up that mess you made in the basement, or you're not going to get uh, you know whatever treat you want uh, that everybody else is going to be able to enjoy, until you make sure that you clean up that uh, that mess." So that is our, our primary responsibility. Okay. Yes, Mel. So if death cleanses us from the worst stains, yes. if we don't have a very severe Avera, we shouldn't die? Um, so there is, there is that notion, right? So, that, so that, that's what would have happened, right? If Adam and Chava did not sin, so what would have happened? We'd still be alive. They'd still be alive. Right. So ultimately, so that's what Chazal, Chazal say, that ultimately every bad thing uh, in the death of every person, even those people that I think Chazal enumerates seven people who uh, lived a life without sin. I'm not even sure what that means. I can't even get through an hour without that. But they lived a life without, uh, without sin. So the reason why they died is because they still carry a little bit of that, uh, that sin from Adamarisha. I'm not going to go Catholic on us of original sin or anything like that. I thought the son is not punished for the for the sins of the father. Uh, correct, right? So that for them, death was not the, it was was not a sin. That was a consequence. So one of the things which they talk about is that for tzaddikim, great tzaddikim, the body actually does not decompose upon death. So the decomposition of the body is something which is. Uh, is part of that cleansing process of the of the neshama. Those people who are super righteous, who don't need to go ahead and uh, don't need that cleansing process, so the body remains intact. I don't know exactly what that means. Yeah, what good is that if they're dead? 
No, no, that, that's true. So the, the soul is able to, the soul lives on without the body. And then when we get to Tchias HaMesim, when we get to the principle having to do with, uh, with resurrection, so we'll see what value is there. If a person was a tzaddik anyways, so what value is there to restore the soul to the body? We keep, we, we, seemingly we spend our lives talking about how important the neshama is in developing the neshama and our focus on the neshama. So if, with all of this focus on spirituality and the neshama, so why is the ultimate reward resurrection when the body is restored? The body is really what's behind all of our averas. So why would we go ahead and want to be restored back to our body? Seemingly, we should want to live on in eternity in just a spiritual sense. So I don't want to foreshadow too much, but we're going to talk about that when we get to um, the last principle. The next one is Mashiach, and then the last one is going to be uh, resurrection. So I Rabbi, I'm sorry, yeah. question. You're, yes. using the, you're using the word Avera. Um, yeah. are, are you encompass, encompassing or encompassed in that? Are we? Are you including the word hate and pesha? Yes, yes. I'm not. Uh, I'm not differentiating between different uh, uh, synonyms. There, there is a difference. You're correct, Susan. Absolutely. But right, right. For for this one, we're not. I'm not differentiating between uh, what's a hate and what's an aver. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So now. At this point, as we've emphasized the fact that that there's no such thing as reward for mitzvahs in this uh, this world, and the only thing which really there the the only thing which seems to mimic a uh, or or give the impression of reward for mitzvahs in this world is this idea of schar mitzvah mitzvah that the reward for mitzvah is a mitzvah. So all of this is is good and well until you go ahead and you open up a chumash. And when you open up a Chumash, it seems to be that what we've discussed, all these, uh, these ideas which we've discussed between last week and so far today, they're, they're actually not true. Because the Torah describes in very clear terms reward and punishment for things which we do, and not reward and punishment in a spiritual sense, but reward and punishment in a very physical, this-worldly sense, rather than in Olam Haba. So not too long ago, we read Parshas Bechukosai, Parshas B'chukosai, everybody knows, is one of two places in Torah where we have what we call the tochacha. We have a description of the rebuke of what's going to happen if we don't follow the mitzvahs of Hashem. In all of those graphic descriptions which we have, all of those have to do with physical things which are going to happen to us, to the land, to the nation, to the Jewish people uh, collectively, very bad things which you're going to experience physically in this world for not listening to God's world. So how could you say that there's going to be no, that there's no reward or punishment in, the, in this world when the Torah goes ahead and we have entire sections of the Torah, Parshas B'chukosai and Parshas Kisavo, both have elaborate descriptions of what we're going to face when we go ahead and we, uh, we don't listen to Hashem. And in case you'll say, well, yes, that reward is something which is too great. Reward for mitzvahs is, is something which is too great for this world to be able to, uh, to contain. And therefore, real reward is going to be in Olam Haba. It's not going to be in this world. But punishment, so a person can be, they can be, in a sense, denied access to Olam Haba, as well as physically suffer in this world. So punishment may exist in this world. It's just reward for mitzvahs don't exist in this world. But that's also not true. Because we say Kriyashma at least twice a day. In the second paragraph of Kriyashma, we say, 
that in the event that you go ahead and you listen to my mitzvahs, what's going to happen? You'll have rain, you'll rail malkosh, the animals will have plenty to eat, you'll have plenty to eat. Very descriptive uh, presentation of physical rewards which we're going to have in this world for having done the mitzvahs. So how can we say, how can Chazal come along and say, that there's no reward for mitzvahs in this world, when Kriyashma, which we say twice a day, tells us very clearly that if you do mitzvahs, good things are going to happen. Right? And we go on in the second half and we say, in the event that you don't listen to the mitzvahs, there's also going to be a consequence. So it seems somewhat uh, um, uh, disingenuous to go ahead for Chazal to come along and say that there's no reward or punishment for mitzvahs and averas or chataim in this world, when uh, we have psukim in the, in the Chumash which describe that exact thing. So how are we going to go ahead and reconcile these two contradictory uh, ideas? So one approach uh, offered by Hasidus, a Hasidic approach, and it contains what I think is a very powerful message. And that is that, um, that uh, Hasidus says that um, that um, the, the purpose of, of, of doing mitzvahs is to connect to God, as they said, is to create a devekus with Hashem, is to create a connection with Hashem, to bridge that gap uh, of space which separates between ourselves and, uh, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, uh, the, from a Hasidic perspective, so they emphasize that God did not create a physical world so that we would um, uh, enter into, he did not create a spiritual world so that we would exist only in his spiritual world. If God wanted to create a spiritual world, he would have done so and he wouldn't have created a physical universe. What God wanted is the ultimate goal of God is, as the the Hasidim say, is that HaKadosh Baruch should have a dira batachtonim. He should have a place to dwell in the lower physical worlds. God already knows that he can exist in the spiritual worlds. The challenge of our human existence is to bring God down from the spiritual worlds into the physical worlds. That's our challenge, and that's what we do when we go ahead and we, uh, through the performance of mitzvahs, is that we bring God into this physical world. Uh, Emuna, belief in God, as we know, is to be able to perceive that God exists in everything. God doesn't ex- just exist in the Torah. He doesn't just exist in our prayers. He's not somebody who's there just when we engage in holy activities. As a, Also, one of the things which we say in Shul is that the challenge of life is to bring uh, Kedusha, to bring holiness into the mundane. That's another way of saying to bring God in the spiritualness of the of, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu into the physical world. So that when you look out the window and you see a tree and you see the sky and you see clouds and you see everything which you see, ultimately what you're supposed to see is holiness and sanctity in everything which, uh, which exists. So how exactly does, uh, does, uh, does uh, the, what, what exactly is a process whereby we're able to bring God from the spiritual realm into our physical universe, into the far uh, ends of the, uh, the physical uh, universe. So uh, Hasidim go ahead and they use the, uh, the following, uh, following marshal. So 
Think about somebody, we talked about this last week as well from Rav Dessler, but think about somebody who is joyful. Somebody's experiencing simcha in their lives. So how do you determine whether or not a person is experiencing real joy or they're faking it? Now, the body language, people say, it's the creases by the eyes, by the edges of the eyes. That's how you can tell the difference between a real smile and a fake smile. If it's a fake smile, you won't have creases by the ends of the eye. Uh, if it's a genuine smile, so you'll have those, uh, those creases. The, those muscles are very hard to be able to contract voluntarily. But if it's a genuine smile, so you'll go ahead and you'll, uh, you'll have those. So, uh, so the first thing that you're going to look at to see whether a person is happy is you'll look at their mouth. You look at whether or not they're smiling. So if you see a person smiling genuinely, so you know that they're experiencing a certain level of joy, a certain level of simcha in their, in their lives. Now, if that person isn't merely smiling, but the person is laughing, so now you know that they're experiencing a deeper level of joy. It's one thing to smile at a joke. It's another thing if the joke is so funny that you actually laugh. So that's obviously a much higher level of happiness, of joy, where it actually has gone from just in the brain. Now it's expressing itself physically in this audible way where the person actually laughs out loud. That's one of the ways that we, are, we share with somebody that it was really funny when you say, I actually laughed out loud when I read that. So when you can say that, so you know that it's more than just a smile level of simcha, but this is a laughing level of simcha. Then, if you go ahead and the person's really uh, uh, is really uh, excited by the uh, by the joke, so then you may go ahead and you may see the person clapping their hands. So, if a person is not only laughing out loud, but they're clapping also at their joy, and they're sort of swaying as they're clapping at their, at, their, at their joke. So then you know it's gone beyond the intellectual realm. It's something which is uh, express is expressing itself further away from the brain that it's already reached the extremities of their, uh, of their hands. And if a person is so joyous that they are inspired to go ahead and dance, then you know that this is something which has now permeated their entire being, that this joy is something which is, uh, which is felt throughout their entire existence, and that it's brought them to that tremendous state of joy that they, uh, they feel compelled to spontaneously go ahead and, and dance. And that is, that's how you see that joy, the more it is, the more concentrated, the more it's going to be felt, the further throughout the body that it's going to be manifest itself from the smile to the laugh, to the clapping, to the dancing, all of that are deeper and deeper expressions of the emotion that the person is experiencing at that, at that time. So similarly, when um, uh, that the, the mitzvahs which we have so they're designed to have an, a positive effect on the universe. That's what we're supposed to do. That mitzvahs, as we said, that the goal of mitzvahs is to bring God from the spiritual uh, heights of the, uh, of the spiritual universe and to bring it down into an expression here physically in this world. So just like by joy, the more joyous a person is, the further into the body it's going to express itself. It's going to it's going to leak that those uh, it's going to leak in a person's behavior. So too, the more mitzvahs that we do, the more connected we are with God, the further into the physical universe we're actually going to be able to bring God. So when we do mitzvahs, it's not as if, and this is going to connect with the uh, the second explanation which we're going to have. But what Akash Baruch Hu is telling us with the paragraph of Hayyim Shamoa, as well as the Tochacha, is 
that when we do mitzvahs and we want to show that we're having a positive effect on the universe as a whole, the greatest way to be able to demonstrate that is through the physical universe itself. Because it shows spirituality has gone from the heavens, from God's domain in the heavens, the seven levels of heaven in his throne, which is atop all of that. And now you're seeing that it has physical manifestation in our world in the sense, in the, in the manner of rain falling appropriately and the crops growing uh, uh, appropriately and all of those things. And the flip side of that sadly would be that in the event that we are not doing mitzvahs as we are supposed to do, so then you're going to have just a universe which is devoid of God's spiritualness. And that's when we see that the, the world is sort of just laying there dormant and it's not doing anything. It's not producing. It's not growing. It's not providing our, our sustenance. So that is an expression. That's a manifestation of the fact that we have severed our relationship with God. And God is withdrawing from our physical world back into the spiritual world. He's going back up into the Elionim, into the upper worlds, rather than being down here with us in the, in the lower worlds, in the physical world. So that's the way Hasidim would go ahead and explain the idea of uh, the reward and punishment psukim and the uh, passages which we find in the in the Torah, and then a second thing is uh, a second approach which very much uh, you know dovetails with the uh, the first approach of the of the Hasidim, but the second one is to understand that there are two different categories of reward or punishment that a person could have that a Baruch Hu could uh, that a Baruch Hu, uh, wove into the universe. Uh, based on our actions. And that is that one type is what we talked about until now, until this uh, this question, and that is the spiritual ch- type of reward. When we say, mitzvah that there's going to be no reward for mitzvahs in this world, that's because the, the granting of reward in a spiritual sense is something which is so profound that it can't be contained by our physical universe. That's the schar, that's the reward or the profit which we earn from our behavior, from the choices which we make in this world. The other type, which is what the Hayyim Shamoa is referring to, and what the Tochacha in, in Parshas Tuchukosai, in Parshas Kisavo refer to, so this is the natural consequence of our world. Just like God created laws of nature, which are inviolable, or valuable, inviolable, uh, viable, that you can't go ahead and you can't uh, go against them. Uh, physics is physics and chemistry is chemistry and biology is biology. And there are things which really are going to be able to, uh, to undo them. So too, God created a spiritual system in this world, whereby if you go ahead and you do mitzvahs, so a natural consequence of that is going to be good things. And in the event that you do bad things in this world, the natural consequence of that is going to be bad things, not in a sense of reward and punishment, uh, but rather as a means of a consequence. Uh, Like you say, if you go ahead and you put your hand into a fire, so it has nothing to do with whether you meant to do it or not, whether you intended for that or not, the natural consequence of your hand in a fire is it's going to burn. That's just what happens. When when something touches fire, it's it's going to go ahead and burn. So that's why, so it's that type of judgment which, uh, which, uh, which uh, the Parsha of Kriyashma, the Parsha of Yom Shamoa, and the Tochacha refers to is the natural consequence of our, of our actions. If you remember, 
we, we talk about also Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time from Reb Chaim Friedlander, the author of the Sif Sechayim. So he talks about this when he talks about the nature of the din, the nature of the judgment which occurs on Rosh Hashanah. So we think of the nature of, of judgment on Rosh Hashanah is that we're going to be rewarded or punished uh, for what we did, for the mitzvahs and the averas which we did the past year. So come Rosh Hashanah, tough shin, pay base, 57.82. So we will be rewarded and, and judged for all of the things which we did over the year in tough shin, pay aleph, in 57.81. But the truth is, is that that's, that that's not the case. That the reward and punishment for the collective mitzvahs and averas which we do, that will happen after 120. That will happen when we're no longer in our physical body anymore. And there's going to be the Yom Hadin Hagadol. There's going to be the great judgment, which is, going to, which is going to take place, which is going to review the totality of our lives from beginning to, uh, to end. And that's where the, the judgment is going to be. Are we going to go to Gan Eden or are we going to go to, uh, to Gehenna? But so what happens on, on Rosh Hashanah? So what is the judgment on Rosh Hashanah? So the Sif Sechaim explains, or Chaim Friedlander explains, that that's going to be more like the budget committee. The budget committee who has to go ahead and make a, uh, a, a budget for the coming year. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to make an assessment what was successful last year, what was not successful last year. And there's going to be a division uh, of resources. So those parts of the business which were successful, so they are deserving of greater um, percentage of resources because they've used them productively to make the, 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 the business profitable. And those areas which have been unsuccessful, where there's been a net loss, so there's no reason one would have to be foolish to go ahead and invest further resources into a division of the company, which is losing money. So that's really what the, the, the judgment of Rosh Hashanah is about, is it's an, it's an appraisal of what parts of the system last year were successful and what parts were unsuccessful. And the division of resources, when we talk about we want to have good parnasa, we want to have good health, and we want to have all of those things which we daven for in Rosh Hashanah, the reason we daven for them and what we're hoping for is, is that Kosh Baruch will grant it to us so that we will use those the resources which we are granted productively and positively in the year to come. So it has nothing to do with real reward, a real schar for the mitzvahs, or whether it's real punishment for the, for the averas which we have, but rather it's a judgment call made by God, by the basin Shomala, as far as how resources are going to be divided uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the world to come. So therefore, the physical rewards which we have for having the, the, the classic example which they talk about is that if somebody is given the money in Tavshin Pei Aleph, and they demonstrate that they are responsible with that money in the sense that they use it to support the poor, to support the widows, to support the needy uh, people who are, who are out there. So Gersh Baruch says, great, I need the poor people to be supported. You have demonstrated yourself to be responsible with the money which I gave you because you use that money to support the, uh, the needy as much as you could. Therefore, in the coming year, I'm going to entrust you to be my shliach to go ahead and give more money to the needy people in the coming year. And that's going to be true. If a person uses their good health for good reasons to go ahead and serve Hashem better, Hashem says, okay, I gave you uh, good health. You weren't uh, sick during the year and you use it productively to come to shul and to daven and to spend your time uh, learning Torah. So I'm going to give you more good health so that you'll be able to use it for more good things in the coming year. 
people who take the gifts which are given to them and they use it non-productively, they use it destructively. So Hashem says, why would I go ahead and give you, give you more money when all you do is you go ahead and you squander it on a b- bunch of double bacon cheeseburgers? That was a big waste of, uh, waste of resources when it was spent on the, when it was uh, uh, wasted on a bunch of Averas. So that is the second approach to the paragraph of Hayyim Shamoa and the Tochacha, that it's not reward and punishment in terms of Ganadin versus Gehenim, but it's going to be a, 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 a judgment call which is made how to divide up resources in this world. So if we show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we are responsible with the resources which he gives us by doing mitzvahs, that Hashem says, okay, I'm going to continue to give you good things because you're using it productively. But in the event that we did not use it productively, Hashem says, I'm looking around and you're not doing mitzvahs and whatnot. Then Hashem says, you know what? If you do that, there's going to be a tochacha, meaning I'm going to start to withdraw those resources from you. And maybe you'll get the message that you don't have the resources which you need anymore. And that will alert to you to the fact that your division is failing miserably, and you need to make some major changes in your business plan and your business model to go ahead and make sure that you're going to be productive and use the resources well in the, uh, in the world to come. And that is this second way that we're going to be able to balance these two ideas of the fact that true reward for mitzvahs does not exist in this world, and yet there's going to be a positive outcome for the mitzvahs which we do, which can be experienced even in this, uh, even in this physical world. Okay. So with that, we are, we're going to call it uh, uh, completed for the, uh, 